Awesome. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to chat about a bunch of stuff here. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, it's always hard to press record whenever you start a podcast because you want to chat with somebody, but then they start talking about things that you want them to say on mics. You have to like pause and say, wait a second, oh, totally. let's hit record. And okay, let's go. So right before we hit record, we were talking about your master's in applied sports psychology. And I was talking about yeah. my master's in progress and master's in applied positive psychology and how positive psychology is a module in applied sports psychology. So if anyone else is confused, um, <laughs> so it's a big part of, of applied sports psychology. Um, so I'd love it to hear more about that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a huge component. Our director of the program uh, went to I think it was the University of Missouri um, and their program was really focused on positive psychology and positive coaching. And that was definitely interwoven. I think it was an integral part of our program and it was talked about in different parts. And then we had an opportunity to take a course in positive psychology. And, you know, it was exciting. You know, it, yeah, I mean, I had read about positive psychology long before I had gotten into that program. It was exciting to see that you're going to a program, uh, the, the program in Pennsylvania yeah. <laughs> uh, to learn about it, you know, from the from the, the people, you know, Dr. Seligman and um uh, other folks out there, and it's super exciting. I mean, I yeah, I just remember digging into his books um, and learning about that program. I was like, this is really cool, and started looking into that. And I was like, okay, we can't go for a third master's right now. I know it's <laughs> so, so hard. There's just so many things. That, like when I saw your master's in applied sports psychology, I, I thought, man, I'd like to do that one too. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, I, I keep thinking, oh, I should get a doctorate, but um, you know, okay, I just got to settle down. Where I'm at and be happy and, and, and be okay with it. Yeah. So yeah, actually, yeah, no, it was, this is, this is, yeah. a, I, I want to go back and ask how they, how sports psychology and positive psychology have been integrated in your program. But the things that we were just talking about, the, the pursuit of more, I want another master's degree. I want more expertise. I want to continue learning. Um, yeah. That comes up in, in any achiever's life, whether they are academic, whether they are an athlete. I want to do every sport. I want to do uh, every discipline of every sport. So, how do you help people manage that that kind of tension between wanting to do everything? Yeah, well, you know, I think that's a good oh, that's a great question. You know, I mean, it was it was interesting as you start talking about it. My brain went to positive psychology and went, well, this is it's a value. Learning is a value, you know. And but there's other values I've got, and, and there's a lot of to be a lot of conflicts with those values, right? Right. Because you've got to, and so really, it's really trying to figure out what that balance is and how, okay, you know, I can't learn everything. You know, I, I was think, actually thinking probably just a few minutes before this podcast that I've got all these books I want to read and, you know, and, and it's so hard to focus on that one thing. And so just picking those things out, helping people, to, you know, identify, okay, what is taking priority right now? You know, is it that, you know, okay, in six weeks, you've got you know, a championship that you're, you're focusing on, or, you know, a major race series that you're focusing on. Okay. That might take priority over something else, but, oh, wait a second. There's a family event that that's really important too. So we got to refocus and, and it's, it's a constant balance. You're never going to be perfectly balanced. It's, you know, moving things around to focus on the things that you value. You got to take a look at your time. What's, you know, what's realistic, you know, what, you know, I've got to sleep eight hours a night, you know, maybe longer, you know, I've got, you know, I still have my workout to do, you know, okay. 
how am I going to do that? So, you know, we write it out, you know, what is going to take priority for you right now? Um, and balance it out and make those decisions and stick with them. That's the hard part. You know, I mean, you know, for a lot of us, we see the shiny things, the squirrel running by and go, Hey, look at that. <laughs> you know, we, I need to chase that right now. And so, all right, take that deep breath, come back to, you know, what's important. What's the value right now that I'm focusing on and, and, and stick with it. That's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, I think, you know, things that I would add to that is just kind of becoming mindful of it. You know, you, you know, practicing mindfulness, practicing, taking those deep breaths, coming back to where you are here and now and going, all right, I hear my mind pulling me over here. I know that's important, but right now I've got to focus on this and redirect your focus onto what you're supposed to do. It's good. It's hard. It takes practice. <laughs> it takes practice. A lot of practice. I, I know that because I'm still struggling with it myself. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is the practice. <laughs> the struggle is the practice. Exactly. You know, you just go, yep, yeah, here we go. Come back to the center. Uh, that, yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> first of all, you mentioned strengths and values, which is a huge part of positive coaching and knowing right. what those are and being able to apply them. And the second thing that you said was that we often have conflicting values. So you might have a value or, or a goal of, I want to do well at this event. And you also have my, have a value around relationships and you want to be able to yes. exercise both simultaneously. And there's yeah. times in our life where you can't like you either go to the family event or yeah. you go to the championship and you have to choose. And you said, exactly. you know, using your, your values to, to determine what that priority is. And while yeah. you might determine that priority, there's still some regret that comes from that choice because there's an opportunity Absolutely. cost of making these decisions. So how do you Absolutely. help people um, or, or like what advice you have for people who have to sit with that opportunity cost and accept that they had to leave one thing behind that they care you about? Said, you said it right there. I mean, you know, so I, I practice acceptance and commitment therapy and it's interwoven into my coaching and it's interwoven into my psychotherapy practice. So good. <laughs> ACT is so powerful and, and it flows neatly with, you know, positive psychology and self-compassion. And, you know, really it's learning how to sit with that discomfort because every value you have and you lead into those values, there's got to be some discomfort coming up, you know, and, it, you know, it could be, you know, exactly that I'm going to, okay, I have to lean into this, but now this discomfort of making this choice is coming up. How am I going to deal with that? You know, and it's, it's being compassionate with yourself, holding yourself kindly, being mindful of these feelings that are coming up, naming them and noticing them, kind of doing this, uh, you know, uh, emotional intelligence, really, uh, of, you know, acknowledging, noticing this stuff. Hey, this is, this is anxiety. This is regret that's coming up. It's okay. And I tell people, you know, tell people a lot to hold themselves kindly, you know, you, you know, hold yourself, you know, because, you know, feel the emotion too, you know, notice it. It's, it's, it's going to push you around. It's going to, you know, you're going to be conflicted. You may be distracted by it. That's where the mindfulness piece comes back in. Like, okay. Take that deep breath, come back to where you are right here, right now. That's not to disregard this other stuff. That's important. You're human, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. The, these emotions are going to come no matter who you are, you know, Superman or Superwoman or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. And the self-compassion piece is is so important. And, and 
I've actually had Dr. Kristen Neff on the show a couple of times to talk about oh, it, which has oh, been sweet. phenomenal. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. However, you know, I think especially athletes think that self-compassion is going to make them weaker. It's going to take away their edge. If they hold themselves, you know, I'm physically putting my arms around myself saying it's okay. Like it's you're, you're okay. You know, you don't have to do everything. Um, you know, you're lovable the way you are, <laughs> things like that. Like yeah, some, yeah. some people who are highly competitive and driven might cringe when they hear that. And yet oh yeah, the criticism doesn't make you perform better. So, you know, what can an athlete say to themselves to reframe this so that self-compassion is a superpower instead of a weakness? So, you know, one of the, one of the pieces, the piece that I love about it is it's allowing yourself to be okay with falling down because if you didn't fail, you're not going to learn at all. And, you know, and you, I give the basic example of a baby falling down, toddler falling down. They are okay with that. They get back, you know, and they struggle and they get back up. If they were not okay with it, they would never walk. You know, it is a matter of how many times did you learn something by missing the basket? How many times did you learn something by falling on the mountain bike? You know, how many times did you learn um you know, by not getting where you want it to say, okay, this is a different direction. So you have to be compassionate with yourself. You continue to beat yourself up with that. You're not going to grow. You're not going to move forward. And that is the power of self-compassion. It allows you, gives you space to, for lack of a better word, really fail and, and be okay with that and, and realize that this is just, this is part of the, you know, process right this is that is the part of learning that's where we're gonna what's we're gonna grow you know and that's the hardest part for people to accept too you know but you know then we give them examples of well let's look at what you learn by not having that success you know what did you learn i just talked to somebody you know who struggled at a race um you know they they ended up and they did they actually did pretty well in one of the toughest mountain ultras in the country um and then they got sick at the end and they're like oh it was really tough you know and then i got sick and you know actually went to the hospital you know and i was like okay you know first of all it was a fantastic you did incredibly well but you learned all sorts of things about yourself about your body what you can do what you can't do and and possibly how we could fix this next time if you get doctor's clearance, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and it's, so that was really powerful for her to go, to learn, to, you know, to think about that. But yeah, you're right. You know, this wasn't a lost race. This was something you could learn. You've learned along the way here, you know, and if I, every athlete that I'm coaching or doing mental performance work with, um, or, um, psychotherapy, I think it's really important to be able to grasp onto that concept. And it takes work though. A lot of people are like, uh, hold yourself kindly. What do you mean? You know, I'm not going to do this is too fluffy. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. So I did this, um, I attempted this 40 mile trail, trail ultra called the grand traverse. And it was part of the, yeah. the dual sport. And it was just, yeah, um, yeah. I guess like a month, a month ago or a few weeks ago. And, um, I didn't get to do the work leading up to the race because, there was many things that happened. I got COVID there was like childcare problems. So I didn't get to actually do the races to prepare me. So it was just in training that I got to try to prepare for this event. And I knew that it was going to be a stretch. And I'm telling people this story because I want them to relate with the, hear, hear a story of positive failure. Um, so, yes. you know, I knew that it was going to be a stretch. And the reason I signed up for this race is because I knew that there was a high percentage likelihood that I could fail at it because 
I wanted that type of uncertainty. And I think, first of all, people don't want to sign up. People get anxiety around their races because there's uncertainty. But then I remind people that we sign up for the race because of the uncertainty. So the uncertainty. yeah. So, so long story short, you know, um, my body basically shut down. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't use my hip flexors or, and my like hamstring tendons. I, I couldn't like move my legs back and forth anymore. I just was like, barely could walk. So I had to drop out at mile 24, which was like, I, oh, I wow. had to, and, and you know, I wasn't sad. Like I wasn't beating. I mean, I was, I wanted to finish the race. I was disappointed. I didn't get to finish the race and it was a goal. And I thought that I was capable of it, but something happened and I wasn't able to. And because I've done work in self-compassion and setting process oriented goals and worked on a a positive mindset, um, I was able to look at this failure and say, like with a smile, like I failed at the race, not, you know, my life is over. And I was able to say, you know, I, I did 24 miles of this. I did all the hardest parts of this race. I had a great time. I got the most out of myself. I learned a lot for next time. So whenever people are talking about failure, I think a lot of times people say it with a frown on their face as if it's this horrible thing that happened, but it's a process, like you said, to learn how to view failure in a positive light and self-compassion is a part of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I had a very similar experience this this past, um, actually at Leadville. Okay. Um, So I, you know, full disclosure, I'm also a coach for Carmichael training systems. I I coach endurance ultra runners um, and marathoners. Uh, and I, this was my fifth time doing lead man, a lead man is a lead challenge. And it's this whole series. It starts in June. You do the marathon, you do the 50 mile run or bike, and then you do the hundred mile bike and then a 10 K right after that. I always forget about the 10 K and it was just the next <laughs> day. And then you do a hundred mile run, uh, the next week. And this race series, I've struggled at. I was actually coached by Travis. That's how I how I met him uh, years ago. You know, we struggled then. And the mountain biking is the section that I just it's like it's this thing that I don't know about. Maybe we should talk to you a little bit <laughs> about that. But it's um, but yeah, I, I go and do this race, and I struggled on the mountain bike again. Didn't get to the finish, and the hundred mile run, which I, I'm I'm used to doing the run. Something happened where I I wasn't well. It was really hot that day. It was eighty degrees, and I got a little dehydrated uh, and underfueled and just slowed down to a crawl and wasn't going to make the final cutoffs that I needed to. And so this would have been the fifth time that, for whatever reason, I didn't finish all the events. And I mean, I could be uh, hitting myself and beating myself up, but I keep coming back to it because of that uncertainty, because of that challenge that it presents itself. Am I learning along the way? Heck yeah. Am I reviewing what I'm, you know, what happened over the last couple of years? You know, actually over the last three years, how COVID played into this, the whole process of COVID and how that impacted my training and how that impacts my mindset. Yeah, it's really interesting. And to be able to say and and finish it and just, you know, all right, yeah, on to the next. I'll do it again and I'll do it again next year, you know, and it's like, whatever. (laughs) It's you got to have that, you know, that compassion keeps you going. That's how you finish. That's how you reach your goals. You know, if you don't have that compassion, you know, that's where those goals are going to struggle. So, yeah, it sounds soft, but it's still this is is how you keep going. You got to have that for yourself. Yeah. And along those same lines, you know, 
when people experience failures and it's funny, I don't even like using the word failure. Cause I know people have a negative, yeah. like constricting feeling. Um, when people have setbacks or things that go wrong, it can impact their confidence in their, in their okay. self or and their self-efficacy. And also it can impact their self-worth because they tie yeah. finishing the event or doing well at an event to how good and worthy of a person they are and their ability yeah. to do it again next time. And that also ties into self-compassion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, I kind of think of it as a tree, you know, with self-efficacy out here and confidence coming inwards. And then, you know, the root, the core, you know, that self-worth and really to make that self-worth strong is, is incorporating, going back to that, where we're talking about character strengths and values and bringing all those other different pieces of you in that why am I doing this in the per first place? Well, it's because of challenge and I like challenge. Well, is it challenging? Heck yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> is it challenging? Is it adventurous? Oh yeah. I mean, every day, every time I've gotten up to the top of Hope Pass, it's, you know, it's worth it. You know, is it is it adventurous? You know, riding my mountain bike down power line, you know, some of the technical, I love it, you know, cause it's scary, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and I don't know, you know, I, I'm pretty certain now that I'm not going to fall, but you never know, you know, it's like, there's that uncertainty and, and there's all these values that are playing into that. Guess what? I could use all, all those other values in other areas of my life. I don't have to make it just this, but I got to, I got to work on those pieces too. I got to work on those other pieces of me too. And sometimes I'll take a lower, um, you know, it'll be lower on the food chain for a while, but, you know, bring them back up because, you know, when you get injured and injuries happen, that's where you can focus on this other stuff too. That's equally as important. It hurts. That's not, it not, it's not to not acknowledge that it doesn't hurt because that's really important. That's a tremendous piece of that acceptance is just opening up to that. Yeah. This stinks if I don't finish. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to lie to myself. Oh yeah. It was you know, great. I hadn't finished for the fifth time. <laughs> yeah. But it was, you know, it's, I, I have to, you know, accept that discomfort of failure, you know, and that sadness and be okay with the sadness that comes up and that frustration is like, ah, you know, what happened with my trading? What did I do? You know, you know, recognize if I'm, you know, putting blame on other areas, different parts, and, you know, and, and recognize, okay, this is, I take responsibility. Here I am. Let's work on some things here. That's it. Uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna stuff. I'm gonna change gears, and I, this is kind of a personal uh, personal curiosity, but I, I'm sure other people would like yeah. to hear it as well. What's the difference between mental performance coaching and sports psychology as like a psychotherapist? Ah, uh, okay. So, um, yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, even though I've got a degree in applied sports psychology, I can't. In my state, and it could be state specific, um, or it can it can be even country specific. I can't say necessarily I do sports psychology because I'm not a psychologist. It's a protected term. Um, I am really doing applied sports psychology um, in mental performance coaching. It is really taking the skills and the mindset of an athlete or you know, an entrepreneur or whoever to and, and enhancing those skills. And, and de helping develop and well, make them well-rounded and the guide to perform better. Um, sports psychology also has an overlap too in a clinical portion of where psychologists um, and, and social workers too, a lot of social workers work on the mental health 
specifically of athletes. And so there's this kind of general overlap, but applied sports psychology refers to that mental performance piece. Um, but I can't use it in any of my language because it is a protected term. And I'm really clear with people. They had, uh, in fact, I just had a blog that was put up on Carmichael Training Systems about, you know, something, you know, about my uh, uh, running of a lead man or doing lead challenge. And they put me as a sports psychologist and I'm really clear with people. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, mental performance coach. So you got, it's a protected term. That's why. Yeah. And I'm also wondering, um, like if, if sports psychologists are working with pathologies, whereas, cause like as a coach, you're not working with pathologies ever. You're always working on like goal setting strengths, values, things like that forward momentum. Right. So some are, some aren't. So there's doctorates in sports psychology who have no clinical background at all. And mm -hmm. which makes it, and they're, they can't, they don't even call them can't, depending on the state, can't call themselves sports psychologists, even though they may have a hmm. doctorate so in sports psychology, which is so, it's so, it's because it's a protected term, you mm -hmm. know, and it, it really depends on the state. They will say they're doing mental performance coaching. My, the director of our program um, is, uh, he has a degree in sports psychology, you know, and but his emphasis is mental performance coaching because he mm -hmm. doesn't have that clinical degree. So, yeah, and it, I think it's state by state, too. Some states are like, okay, that's not, we're not going to worry about that, but I'm not going to, you know, yeah, it depends. So does that make sense? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And then also um, you're a psychotherapist, correct? Exactly. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So there's that clinical degree where I'm working with pathologies, mental health, depression, anxiety, trauma, you, you know, you name it. And it's, that's that piece of it but I'm a clinical social worker, I'm a psychotherapist, I'm not a sports psychologist. So yeah, I think it's, it's important really, to clarify yeah. all these terms because a lot of times people don't know what they mean. And like, I even have, I'm in this field and I have confusion around some of these terms sometimes. Yeah. And, and I'm sure people will call you, you know, a sports psychologist. They'll see your doctor, Yeah, you know, and, and you know, you do this mental performance coaching. And so you must be a psychologist, right? No, no, yeah, no. Like, no, you I'm know, not a psychologist. Know. And then you but have to know, and the, as a coach, you have to know when to refer out to a psychologist. Exactly. A psychologist or a psychotherapist. Or a psychotherapist, you know, depending, yeah. you, you know, it's really, and that's where it's confusing because a lot of people say, well, I've got to send them to a sports psychologist. Well, if you have a psychotherapist, a clinical, you know, a clinical social worker who is trained to work with athletes, they're, they're going to work as equally as well as that psychologist. Psychologists can do more testing. Now, that's that's a big difference there. They're going to do psychological testing. Um, that's another difference where psychologists are going to be able, you know, be able to do some, a little bit different stuff. But, you know, if someone has depression, you could send them to a psychotherapist. It's nice to send them to someone who has that background though. Mm-hmm. It can be really confusing. It could be really confusing. I tried to clarify it once and it was like, oh, wow, this is muddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, on your website, you um, have this periodized mental skills uh, pyramid, basically, that you've created. Yeah. Um, yeah. You created this, right? Because I see it's copyrighted to your business. Yeah. I can't, you know, I created that, you know, um, just kind of thinking about. Uh, ultra running and how to create a periodized plan for ultra runners. And mm -hmm. when I did that, I 
you know, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? Where am I going to put things? And so I did copyright it. I put, you know, put it under, hey, this is mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are so many other pyramids out there. In fact, I saw one the other day that looked really similar. Um, and I was like, wait a second, you know, and it's like, ah, there's a little difference there. Um, but yeah, you know, you can see that, you know, there's a lot of things on there and, you, and you're welcome to show that on your, you know, on your show notes. Um, there's, yeah. Where do you want to go with that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll read kind of just some of the words on here. Um, yeah. and I'll start. With, so self-compassion and harmonious passion are, are at the very, very base. Then you have motivation, yeah. mindfulness, skills, emotional regulation, imagery, self-talk focus. Optimism is on the very tip of the point. And then along the sides, there's arrows pointing up each side of the triangle saying resilience increases in resilience and increases in confidence as you go up. Um, so yeah. Yeah. sports psychology and applied sports psychology, there's many elements of sports psychology. So yeah. how did you land on these specific elements for this pyramid? So in the way the pyramid works, the, the corners of optimism, you know, to put optimism at the top, you know, being a central focus, um, but also self-compassion and harmonious passion and needing those things as integral parts of this. But at the base, you'll see motivation, right? You have to have some base of motivation to do what you're doing. Now, you know, they say you don't have to be motivated to take action, you know, and that's true, but you also have to know why you're doing it. Yeah. And so when I think about motivation and some people are, you know, and I was just talking to my mentor about this the other day is that motivation, sometimes it's just intrinsic, right? We know that that motivation is there, especially at a high level. That motivation doesn't play a lot. Sometimes it'll play into it, but you have to have that at the base. The next piece of that being the next step of that mindfulness is being mindful, being aware of where you are in the present moment. That takes precedence over self-talk and imagery. Self-talk taking precedence over imagery because you a lot of people can't have difficulty with the images. And so we have to start with self-talk then the imagery. And then ultimately the focus is the focus is the top of this pyramid where that is allowing you to direct your attention to those specific tasks that are important to you at that time. But again, the base, I use it, you could almost use it as an assessment. It's like, where is this person right now? You know, okay, well, they're motivated. This isn't a problem. Let's, let's move it. Okay. Do they have, um, you know, some sense of mindfulness going on? Yeah. I mean, some people don't even call it mindfulness, right? You know, oh, because my mindfulness brings up all sorts of things like meditation, sitting in a lotus position. They might be very mindful and, you know, that's not, you know, that's not an issue, but what about the self-talk? What about being able to focus on the things that you need to focus on? And that's usually one of the biggest pieces. Now, optimism has to be some, has a central piece of that, right? You know, you, you know, that is, again, that's a, a piece of positive psychology too, you know, and again, building on resilience on the side and confidence on the side. When you work on all those things, those things, resilience builds, of confidence builds, um, when I talk about harmonious passion, I'm jumping around, you know, and uh, when I talk about harmonious passion is that idea that um, I'm not letting these things control me. 
you know, I am passionate about this, but it's not controlling me and pushing me around. So this is the focus of my life. You know, when I was first got into ultra running, nothing could get in the way of my run. You know, my wife still talks about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then it's like, wait a second. You know, um, we got to be a bit more harmonious here. You know, in, in the whole big picture, and that I could be passionate about something, yeah, but not obsessive about it. You know, so that contrasts with this idea of that I'm going to be obsessed with this and nothing else is going to get in the way of this. And that might lose out on these other values that I have. Um, the other piece, the other corner was the self-compassion, which we talked about, which has to play a role in it. So, yeah. And I used this pyramid to do a six-week training in for ultra runners. Uh, we started out motivation and we moved up the line to focus. And uh, we're actually meeting again. We did that six weeks for six weeks in May, April and May. And now we're moving to um, a follow-up session next week to see how the races went. And uh, just having some follow-up because I think follow-up is really important when you do things like this. Yeah. A lot of times people don't take the time to reflect. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm, the goal is, in fact, I'm going to, next time I do this is actually have more self-reflection as a piece of this because um, it's so important. So I'm going to grab onto the harmonious versus obsessive passion, because this is something that I am thinking about all the time. And it's something that we were talking about at the very beginning of this learning. Yeah. And, you know, that could become an obsessive passion, taking over your entire life, needing more certifications and wanting to learn everything because you love it so much yeah. and yet it can be damaging. And so I was thinking about character strengths and sometimes our character strengths, we often think of strengths as being a good thing, but sometimes when your strengths are on overdrive, they can actually be detrimental to your life. And I think that totally. learning, <laughs> totally. learning and, and, you know, love of learning could be a, an obsessive passion that takes over your life. So, you know, Absolutely. and, and athletics, like running, I could say mountain biking has definitely been an obsessive passion for me in the past. Yeah. How do you help people back away from the obsessive passion and come back into that harmonious zone? I think part of it is that values clarification, right? You know, so looking at what, what, so actually you're almost using a bullseye right? and putting your values down along around the circle and how much time are you spending focusing on these other things that are really, really important to you right now. Well, family, oh, it's just a little dot right here. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> you know, let's, but really sitting with it, you know, and, and taking your time with this and focusing on, okay, education. Wow. You know, I've got, you know, 60 books, you know, and they're all on these different Don't topics. Look at my and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, exa well, exactly. You see mine behind me and, you know, you see things ranging from biochemistry to, um, you know, cognitive <laughs> behavioral therapy, you know, it's just like this, you know, and it's this constant learning, which is something to fulfill, you know, kind of to fill that need, but at the same time to be able to step back. And again, we're kind of coming back to this acceptance of, okay, acknowledging that, oh, maybe I have to focus on this other piece of me and it, there's going to be discomfort with that. Right. And so we're opening up to that discomfort. This is really hard stuff. You know, I'm just talking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to learn. There's also that idea of looking at it and, and at 
idea of perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. Or even that idea of why am I continuing to learn? Is there self-doubt that's going on here? You know, imposter is there phenomena? <laughs> exactly. The imposter phenomena, you know, and I'm glad you called it a phenomena. It's not a syndrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, it's a, you know, it's, you know, there is that feeling of being an imposter. You know, why is that? Well, there's that self doubt that's under root. Maybe I'm not, you know, okay. Well, maybe I am really good at what I'm talking about. Maybe I'm not, you know, and someone will give me the feedback and I'll learn something from that. And that's okay. Oh, we're going back to that idea of self-compassion, you know, and back to that corner of the triangle, (laughs) back to that corner of the triangle. And so, yeah, I mean, to be able to look at all your values, look at that as a kind of a dartboard, fill it in, you know, as a pie chart, you know, how much time am I really spending? with my family. How much time do I want to spend with my family? Some people don't want to spend time with their families. You know, that's, that's a different story, but you know, what about this other piece of me, this education piece? Oh, that's taken up a lot of time. You know, what, where else do I need to bring this focus to? And again, having compassion for yourself, you know, I think about athletes who have, you know, you know, you, you, you might experience this yourself in full, you know, full-time job, career, family, you got kiddos, you got all this stuff going on. How much energy are you really able to spend on training right now? And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's been a realization in the last, th- well, since March of 2020, when my son was born for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and it's, it, and it goes in flux, you know, in different, mm-hmm. cha- you know, different times in your life. And it's like, okay, all right, I gotta be okay. You know, how am I going to be okay, be okay with, with it? Yeah. How am I going to be, okay? be okay? How am I going to be okay with that? Controlling the things you can. You know, I talk to athletes and say, okay, well, you can't run 30 minutes and you run 20 minutes. You know, you can't run an hour, bring it down to 45. What about 30? What about 20 minutes? What about just being okay and just going on to the next one? Let's let's do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like, oh, okay. You know, then I've got athletes who will do absolutely everything, you know, and then do too much of it. My what does my ankle hurt? You know, because <laughs> well, you you didn't tell me. <laughs> you know? So yeah, that's, that's how I would address, you know, how I focus on that is let's, let's do some values clarification and how, and kind of flucked in between that idea of acceptance and, um, and diffusion from all that self-talk to that's going on that, you know, could be criticizing, you know, that, which is sometimes normal, you know, and I, you know, it's all, you know, it's normal. We're humans. We're going to say things to ourselves that maybe, you know, aren't true. You know, not it's not to argue it. It's sitting there with that and going, "Yep, I hear myself saying that." Let's go back to where I need to focus, and and refocus on that controllable stuff. So, just as an aside for you guys listening, um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a couple of act psychologists that we've had on the podcast talk, and you can learn a little bit about some of the core processes. I think believe there's six core processes of acts because we've been actually talking about them in this podcast, and it'll give you more context. Um, but for Neil, for Neil, I have a question for you here. Um, values, right? We've talked about values a lot today. And in, in my coaching practice, I've noticed this. Most people have never sat down and written down their values. They've thought about them, but they've never actually written them down. And the act of writing them down was actually very challenging for them. They thought they knew them, but then they had to actually define, you know, five to three to five to seven values. How do you help people clarify those values? I think... You know, so a couple of things is one is, is I love having a checklist. Let's, let's look at the checklist, you know, what stands out to you, you know, and I can go through a checklist and 
check all of them. You know? Yeah. Okay. What uh, What are the What are the six ones that stand out to you? And then rate them one through six. You know which ones are most powerful. Okay, that's great. Now let's look at your goals. What are your goals in your life? Not just running, not just biking, but other goals. You know, well, have, you know, to have a nice house in the mountains. Well, okay, you know, what what is underlying those goals? You know, well, house in the mountains. Well, beauty, being among in the wilderness. Oh, those are values. And so you start looking really closely at your goals, at the things that you do, even writing out a narrative. You know, what, you know, what, tell, tell us your life story. You know, what are the themes that are present in your life that, that are taking, you know, okay, well, education has taken a precedence in my life. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, what do I have, you know, well, I just did a training on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I'm taking a training on, on mountain biking, uh, you know, I'm taking a training on perfectionism, you know, it's like, okay, there's a theme of learning, <laughs> you know, I'm constantly doing that. That's the value. You know, what other themes, you know, are taking precedence in those goals? So look underneath the, look underneath the hood, you know, here, here's the, here's the shiny car. What's underneath it. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a strong engine. Okay. Health is a precedence, right? You know, mm-hmm. and that's, those are the little pieces of it. That's how I would go about doing that. That's there's how I go about doing that. <laughs> there's something I want to add that I learned actually from Dr. Diana Hill, who's like, she's a friend of mine. She's also a very prominent act psychologist. She yeah. says, look at things that made you angry because oftentimes that means one of your values got oh, threatened. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, look at the things that you get passionate about, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, that, you know, we're, you know, something throws you off. Like then, you know, not, I think just angry where you reacted to it, but also how you react on a daily basis to life, you know, look at closely, look under the hood. What's, what are those things that are driving it? I think that checklist helps a lot too, because then that puts words to it where people may not be able to identify the words. What is courage? What is, you know, compassion? Oh yeah, that's compassion. You know, I'm thinking about this is oh mindfulness. Well, there's other words for that too. And you could, you know, and I haven't done this, but you could actually kind of make this chart and it's outside wheel with wheels, you know, uh, names of different things coming inward just to kind of, okay, what are the core things? You know, I don't know if you could envision that, but just mm-hmm. like, what are all these things that are attached? What is courage attached to link that together? Okay. This is what it's all about. What is lead man doing lead challenge all about? What is doing the, um, uh, the grand traverse all about what's underneath that, you know, why are we doing that? And then that leads you to those things. When you get, when you feel hurt or slighted, what is underneath that, you know, that can help figure those things out. And then you could identify once you've identified, then you have an area to focus on too. I'm going to jump around for a second here. It just came up. <laughs> so yeah. you're talking about lead man. And then I started thinking about my coach, Travis Macy, cause he's like previous record holder for that and yeah. all around amazing, you know, coach. So, you know, I was thinking about hundred mile racing and he says, well, the race itself, 
Yes. But like, think about what your day-to-day would look like from a goal setting perspective. If you were training for a hundred mile race, you'd have to run a lot more than you currently are. And apparently I need to run a lot more than I already am for a 40 mile race. Um, but then it brought me to thinking about hundred mile races and about hard races in general, where people are doing it. And while they're doing it, they're thinking I'm never doing this again. Like that's, it's kind of like a running joke that if you're doing a race and you think I'm never doing this again, then you're actually doing like the right race. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, why, why does this happen? Why are we in a race thinking I never want to do this again? And then a week (laughs) later, or maybe even like an hour later, we're like, when's the next one? Like, what is that? I was, I was just talking to an athlete about this because the race she was in yesterday, I mean, she was, I mean, just suffering. And it was like, there's no way I'm ever going to do this again. You know, it ends up in the hospital and, and here we are, we're talking about it. And she's like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about doing another one. Yeah, but why, why does we, this happen? <laughs> it, I think it, ha- you know, I think one of the things is, first of all, there is, we have a very short-term memory when it comes to discomfort, but we have this really long-term memory. And this is evolutionary, I believe, that we want to, we remember these good exciting things and you know you know these little dopamine hits right you know where this chase that we're on that build up for the race is exciting right you know and there's a little hits of dopamine you know i think you know probably i would guess stephen kotler would agree with me he's done a lot of talk about uh flow and just how that process and how we can be addicted to that. And that's probably part of the process of learning too, is little hits of dopamine, right? Where you're just like, oh, this is, and it comes back to, this is the stuff we remember. We remember the good stuff and that pain slowly fades away. Now it might be that it's strong enough that we decide, you know, this probably, and we go onto these values and like, this probably isn't going to be really good for me if I do this again. Um, where there's, where we start focusing on our health, a long-term health, and maybe there is a long-term health issue that I can't be doing this again. Um, and that's a very strong reality. That's a reality for a lot of people. Um, but there is that piece that disappears, you know, where it's like, ah, you know, you know I, I was climbing a 14 or yesterday and it would be like, I'm dizzy. <laughs> I am just hypoxic as all get out. And, but I could look out at the mountains up above me, or I look across into the Sawatch rain. The Southern Sawatch rain was full of snow where we were, wasn't. And it was just this real dark contrast. Like we were looking over at Himalayan peaks or something. It was just this really cool. That's what I remember. I don't remember yeah. that feeling of like, hypoxia i mean yeah i kind of sort of remembered a little bit but i remember that joy that i felt being high up in the mountains that joy of like looking down at this valley below that was just so idyllic those are the rewards we you know that's why we you know get attached to our babies really quickly you know it's like they'll keep us up all night you know but there's this um you know the um the love drug you know the um you know, I forget the hormone already. It's like uh, that. Oxytocin. uh, There you go. Oxytocin. Thank you. My brain is, what is is that? The hypoxia from yesterday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you got the oxytocin, right? And that gives you that attachment, you know, to, you know, to to the beauty out there, you know, and we're going to be attached to that, attracted to that. And that's why we repeat these, 
that's why we chase after this difficult stuff sometimes. Um, that chase, sometimes the training itself is the reward. The journey is the reward in itself sometimes. The chase, that uncertainty, which is exciting the, you know, that you talked about, that chase probably drives me to lead challenge. When I think about lead challenge, it's like, yeah, oh, I'd be excited to do this next year, you know, even though I have not finished this. It's still uh-huh. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about this. So, you know, as I'm doing this, this map program, like that's the acronym for the the masters. I'm excited to see how it's going to integrate more into my coaching and into my podcast. And I'm not going to be recording. I've recorded a lot in advance, um, before I started this, but a lot of the things that I'm learning are like in my mind, like forefront of my mind, you know, I just wrote a, pa- a huge paper. So as we're talking about these two types of things, I started realizing okay, hedonic happiness, which is about pleasure seeking and and feeling good. And then eudaimonia, eudaimonic happiness, which is about meaning and and purpose and, and, you know, doing things that matter. And then I started thinking about the question that I asked you. And I think that these things can actually be related because in the moment, you know, you're not experiencing that hedonic happiness. Um, oh, now I'm screwing it up. It was something about like how like you could, you could be doing something and there's that memory of the thing that you were doing of, of like, if it was pleasurable or not pleasurable, but then there's like the eudaimonic piece, which is about meaning and, and, and mattering. So, you know, when you're done with the race, this eudaimonic portion is, is very much in your mind and the hedonic piece doesn't matter as much. Whereas in the, in the moment when you're not experiencing right. that pleasure, you feel maybe unhappy, that unhappiness associated with, with the, the hedonism. So yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'm this is probably yeah. like a tangent, but yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think there's all sorts of connections there when you start thinking about flow too, right? And, and you're thinking about all that, you know, the chemistry that happens, and, and it's like, I think you are going to have some of that. You have that attachment to that chase of that, you know, that dope. I like calling it a dopamine hit. You know, okay. it's it's really a multi hormones and you know, neurochemistry that's going on. That, yeah, that's you know, you do feel that, you do remember it, and you crave it too, which is also a danger too, right? Because that's where that obsess, some of that obsessive passion comes from. You know, and it's led to some you know, people chasing a lot of dangerous things, which again, you're coming back to your values and, you know, okay, what is this, that's that hedonism, some of that hedonism out there that's like, ah, this is so pleasurable, but what's the meaning behind that? It's, yeah, that's powerful stuff. I, yeah, yeah, there's some I'd like to read your thing, paper. <laughs> that, well, I, I, that's not what my paper was about, but I, I just, oh, I, was okay. thinking, I was just, but those two topics are on my mind. And I thought, how did this might apply to this exact scenario here of, you know, you're doing a race, you're like, not happy. You don't want to do it. You want to quit. Right. I'm never doing this again. And then being done and saying, well, actually I, I do want to do this again. And it, it's like kind of a conflict between those two things. It's totally conflict. It's totally conflict, yeah. but, it, hmm. but it's, it, it's short term, you know, right. Cause we're, we kind of, that fades really quickly for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you know, just like this athlete I was talking to today, it's like, we're, you know, you're, you're talking from a hospital bed. and and she's like oh yeah i think i might want to do one of these again it's like i really hope your doctor doesn't hear you so (laughs) yeah it's like type one fun is hedonic fun and type two fun which is the type of fun that's fun afterwards like eudaimonic fun yeah 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 it was funny it was funny (laughs) yesterday as we were climbing um 
and scrambling, you know, my friends were going, this is really type two fun. And they weren't having a lot of fun at that moment, you know, and mm -hmm. I was having a lot more fun because it was like, this is something I'm really used to is climbing. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this scrambling piece is what it's all about, you know, make yeah. it more challenging for me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. So for the last uh, 10 minutes here, I want to talk about emotional regulation because people have heard a lot about imagery, self-talk flow, mindful, you know, a lot of these things on this podcast, but emotional regulation is not something we've talked about a lot. So can you define what emotional regulation is and how that is, um, imperative for mental skills? Ah, oh, that, that, yeah, that's a good question. I think it, you know, may get a variety of different definitions. Um, what I like, I like to kind of compare, like to put it into this idea of being able to take your emotions and being open to them at the same time, re redirecting them to where you need to go. So coming to this acceptance piece, you know, being able to, okay, noticing that my, I'm getting really anxious right now about this race, um, you know, and I might be breathing really heavy, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm getting really excited you know, for example, the start of a race, 100 mile race, you know, you're going to feel a lot of excitement. Leadville is really good for this because it'll get you really pumped up and excited. <laughs> no, we're going to be Leadville. And you're out there and you're getting pumped up and you run straight, you know, straight down, you know, the boulevard and you, you, know, you burn all your matches in the first couple <laughs> hours, right? You know, Travis talks about this when you, you know, when you're cycling and you go and uh, um, you're leaving uh, Leadville and going up St. Kevin's and people burn all the matches. It's because of all that excitement. How do you, regulate that emotion, that excitement that's coming up for you and being able to redirect it into ways that are going to be constructive for you. So this is kind of my definition of it. I'm sure there's mm -hmm. some more technical psychologist definition of it, but how do you redirect some of that into something that's going to be more helpful for you? Being open to that stuff that's coming up, recognize it's coming up. Okay. What do I need to do right now? thinking about it on a spectrum. Okay. Well, you know, if it's a football game, I need to be a little hyped up, right? You know, I need to, you know, I am, uh, you know, getting towards the end of a, a hundred mile race. It's, you know, two o'clock in the morning. I'm really tired. I need to be a little hyped up, more energetic. I need to bring that down at the beginning of the race. How am I going to do that? You know, and that might be taking slower, deep breath, recentering myself focusing on what's around me right now, or it might be taking a little caffeine, pumping myself up, taking some quick breaths and, you know, and then, okay, now I got to move, you know, and refocusing, taking that and moving it around, but you got to be aware of where your emotion is right here, right now. And that awareness itself, awareness piece is underlying that emotional regulation piece. Right. Um, and so noticing, naming, becoming aware, being accepting of it, and then redirecting into those controllable things that you can control. It might be using self-talk, might be using some imagery, you know, and so it might be using any one of those things to kind of get yourself to a place where you need to be right now. And in terms of How's imagery, sound? <laughs> it, it sounds great. No, in terms of imagery, I was just thinking about this as well, because that's that's something else that we even talked about at great length. Like I have a mindset Academy course that I created with a bunch of these things in there, but then, and I do it in my coaching, but then I realized like on the podcast, I haven't really talked about imagery either. So can you talk about imagery and how people can use that for their performance? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long topic, but, um, but I'll, I'll dive into it a like little a bit. Like a summary of what so, imagery is and how people can so use it. Just thinking about it um, as creating 
using all your senses, you know, from smelling tactile, you know, to, you know, noticing what's around you to noticing the temperature of where you're at to visualizing it. I don't call it visualization because that's just the visual part of it. Imagery mm. brings in all these other senses of it. And so creating a vision, creating a picture, a story, if you will, a script, if you will, of that scenario of where you want to be and what you want to be doing and really bringing in all these other senses. What does it feel like outside? What do you smell? What do you see? What do you hear? Bring it all together to create that storyline. And you could use it, you know, you could use it, oh, yeah, you know, finishing at this time or whatever. But you could also use it when those challenges come up. So creating a situation scenario in your brain and write out a script for this is, you know, what is it going to be like when, for lack of a better word, when shit hits the fan, right? You know, you forget your gels, you know, and you're, you know, two miles away from aid, you know, or 10 miles away from aid and you don't have any gels with you. You're going to, you know, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be uncomfortable here for a little bit. I might slow down a little bit, but how am I going to adjust to that? And you create this image of yourself in that scenario of getting through that situation. You know, I fell on my bike. What am I going to do? How am I fixing my bike? How am I getting through that situation? Creating that complete image not just that visual image, but the complete image of everything, all those senses going at once. That's kind of a short definition of it, short description of it. And I love it. Um, you know, I, lo I love to use it in preparation you, with athletes um, weeks in advance. You know, if you could practice, you know, a couple times a week, five minutes, you know, get your script, practice your script. Script doesn't look good. Rewrite it. You know, and let's uh, let's add things to it. You could add that self-talk piece to it. You could add that mindfulness piece to that. Sometimes mindfulness is going to be a big portion of that. So, yeah, that's how that's how I like using imagery. So, yeah, thanks for clarifying the difference between visualization and imagery. That was a really great description of of how they're differentiated. And also, something that I heard you say was that imagery is not about imagining. It's, it's not only about imagining a wanted outcome, getting a certain place, getting a time. Right. It's about a process and the actions that you will take in the moment and recreating that moment um, and, and using all of your senses. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, I, you know, I tell people the story. I learned to roll a kayak by watching a video and then sitting down and going through the motions on dry land. And then I get into into the pool, into the lake, and it takes one or two tries. And then I was, but I had this whole picture of moving through the water, of physically moving through the water and being able to roll the kayak. And it worked, you know, and um, that's one of the powers, of, you know, that I think one of the powers of imagery, of, you know, being able to do that. I also did that. Preparing for Leadville, I was able to watch video of Powerline. I'd never been down at Powerline, which is somewhat technical, you know, I mean, it's a moderately technical section. And uh, it watching video of it helped me relax. And I just practiced over and over again, just kind of relaxing, going through this technical section. I'll watch videos of mountain biking to, and learn to relax in that video. And then I play it through in my head. What is it going? What's going through my head while I'm doing that? 
how do I relax? How to become get into that flow of the mountain bike, which is so cool. And there's actually a lot of research behind that too, which I'm sure you've seen about people like imagining and then their muscles are actually firing as if they were doing it. Yeah. Well, they could do it. You could use it uh, when you're injured too, right? You know, and it's, you know, it's hard to get endurance down, but more technical stuff down, like, you know, mountain biking, you know, going through those visions, that imagery in your head, you could spend time practicing doing that, you know, doing more technical things, you know, in your head while you're injured, you know, which is kind of, kind of cool and kind of keeps you going. What am I going to do today? Well, I'm going to do my physical therapy and I'm going to do five minutes of imagery. Yeah. Something that I think is interesting is that people can perform the practice of mental imagery, say like for riding a downhill on their mountain bike, but when they're actually on the downhill riding their mountain bike, they're picturing themselves falling down and it takes practice and discipline in order to get to a point where when you're actually starting to feel the fear going to the mental imagery of you succeeding instead of your default mode of going towards the negative. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, and it takes so much practice, right? You know, <laughs> and it's cause, because, you know, and this is kind of going back to that evolutionary idea is that our brains are trying to protect us, right? You know, we are, you know, Oh, don't fall. You know, don't, you know, don't, you know, we, you, it's, 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 it's a caveman mentality. You know, we don't want to, you know, you know, there is a saber tooth tiger out there. So we shouldn't probably go out there, you know, and it's, and that's okay. You know, and that's, and that's normal for it to protect us being accepting that it's normal. Okay. Now what am I going to do with that? How do I need to adjust to that? Okay. I'm okay here. I know how to do this. You know, I can get through this little piece right here. I can get through this next piece right here, That's it. but it takes a lot of practice. And that's one of the things with, you know, I mean, just kind of looking at that, you know, that periodized mental performance piece, it takes time. I mean, I took six weeks. I think it even takes longer. I'm going to actually get to run that program again next year, but we're going to start in January, you know, and I'm going to run it over a longer period of time because I want people to practice this over and over again. Well, I think that that's a really great place to wrap it up that we have all of these important skills that will help us both feel better and perform better, but it takes practice and it takes intention and it takes mindfulness. Yes. And yeah. thankfully there are people like you and, and also like me that can help, um, people totally. through these processes and, and like this podcast and many other podcasts out there that learning is a big part of this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, keep diving into it, you know, and, but don't just read it. Don't just listen to it. Do Practice it. Yeah. and <laughs> get out there and do it, you know, and that's, and do be intentional about it. You know, that is one of the most important pieces of all this stuff. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll talk to people, you know, people will call me a week or two before a race and, you know, and that's okay. And you can get something out of that, but I always tell them, it, you know, it's going to take some, it takes practice, you know, and this is, you may or may not get the results you want, but at least, you know, here's some tools, but start practicing now. Well, Neil, thanks so much for coming on the show. I loved our conversation and I feel like you and I could geek out about many things for a very long time. Where can October. people, where can people find you? Uh, the long version is www.coloradopsychotherapyandsport.com. Um, so it's, uh, or at, uh, yeah, on Instagram, Colorado psychotherapy and sport. And, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Best places to find me there.
Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for sharing this. And yeah, congrats on this periodized mental skills. Like I know I have an idea of how much, um, creativity and thought that had to go into this and to have it copyrighted. Like that's, that's a huge accomplishment. So congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time.